Welcome to Material World, where we check out what's going on behind all the things you spend your money on. We're your hosts. I'm Lindsay Rupp. I write about all the stores you'll find in the mall for Bloomberg. And I'm Jenny Kaplan. I write about all the things you drink and smoke for Bloomberg. We recently did an episode on the growing business of fitness, but we didn't hit on one important area, food. Today, we're taking on a related eating trend, vegan or plant-based foods. More and more people are becoming vegetarians or vegans or flexitarians for health or environmental or even moral reasons. I know I'm trying to eat less meat. 32% of Americans said they ate less meat in 2015 than they did in 2012, according to a poll done by NPR. I was actually a vegetarian for a year, but gave it up when I went to college because it felt too tough to figure it out in the dining hall. I had a hard enough time not eating meat. I can't even imagine how hard it would be to not eat any animal byproducts. It cuts so many delicious staples that we're used to in the U.S. out entirely, like pizza. I mean, historically, most vegan food has not been the tastiest. These days, there's been a renaissance of vegan or plant-based food companies, and a lot of big names are really joining in on the trend. Both Bill Clinton and Beyonce have dabbled with veganism, and Beyonce actually invested in a vegan food startup, which she said has totally changed her. The program, created by celebrity trainer Marco Borges, focuses exclusively on plant-based foods. That's right, a plan for going vegan in just three weeks. I felt like my skin was really firm, a lot tighter than when I deprived myself of food and got the weight off fast, and the weight stayed off. A superstar's secret to living flawlessly. It's clearly a growing trend, but first things first, let's define what we're talking about. In its simplest definition, I think it just means that it's produced without animal products. You know, that would include obviously eggs. I mean, even something like honey gets lumped in there because it comes from bees. So it's just products that are not made from animals. That's our colleague, Craig Giamona. He covers the packaged food industry. So companies like Kellogg or General Mills. Vegetarian is one thing. That means I don't eat meat. There's people that only eat fish, a pescatarian, but vegan is, is kind of hardcore. They're the people that are strict. I mean, that's a lot of things. That's cheese, like I said, honey, eggs, so it, it, butter, anything like that is out, basically, if it comes from an animal product. And anything that contains those things, that's too? Right. So, like, baked goods and... That's right. Okay. That sounds simple enough, but in some industries, it gets pretty complicated. Take wine, for example. There's a lot of certifying boards for the word vegan, much like organic and sustainable. What does it really mean? The definitions are being hammered out as we speak across the world. That's Mark Lyle from Santa Margarita Wines. You'll hear more from him later. I don't think you're going to see many wineries call vegan out on the label because to be certified vegan uh, not only has to do with how the wine is made, but literally are you recommending wine with perhaps anything that's not vegan, which most wineries do, of course, because it's part of the... Palette and cheese, part. cheese, right. um, and down to the furniture you're sitting on at the winery. It's that intense. So I think the only way a consumer is going to understand truly what's going on is to do what they're doing best now, which is peeking behind the curtain, going on the websites, looking, and um, where wineries are talking about what their processes are, they'll see if that value system matches up with theirs. So why is veganism so hot right now? Here's Craig again. A big thing right now is obviously people just have more access to information about food. That's obviously that's driven by the internet. So there's been a 
big increase in interest in organic and natural, people seeking out real food. And there has kind of been a rise of what people call sort of a flexitarian or people that are selectively vegan. You know, I want to cut down on dairy or I want to eat less meat because I'm concerned about industrial agriculture and what it does to the environment. So, you know, I think veganism for a long time was considered this strident thing that was only for radical hippies. And there was almost like a political element to it that these people, you know, they, they don't like to have fun and they're angry all the time. And what you're seeing is kind of it's gone a little bit mainstream. You know, Bill Clinton is a vegan. Jay-Z and Beyonce have talked about sort of being vegan. Tom Brady doesn't eat dairy. So, you know, Khloe Kardashian famously lost weight when she gave up dairy. So you're seeing veganism almost come out of the shadows a bit. And the big food companies have taken notice for sure. So how has vegan food changed? Because for a long time, the food was really processed or it came out of a box or it was freeze dried. How have we seen vegan food shift? I mean, the short answer is that it's gotten better. You know, I didn't, I wasn't eating the vegan stuff in the 70s. I've started to eat it now for my job. But everybody you talk to is just like, they have made this stuff a lot better. The first generation of vegan cheese was essentially like starch and oils mashed up into a ball. And, you know, the only person that would eat that way is somebody that had to, somebody that said, uh, for whatever reason, political or health or otherwise, I'm a vegan. This is what I have for my options. So this is what I'm going to eat. Here come these companies now like Treeline, Kite Hill, Beyond Meat, that have really sort of made this stuff taste a lot better. They, those guys say that you know now our stuff can compete on taste with mainstream items. I mean, still big questions around how much this stuff costs. It's still way more expensive. But the short answer, like I said, is that vegan food has gotten a lot better, a lot tastier. One of the things people say is the hardest to give up is cheese. As Craig mentioned, vegan cheese used to be pretty low quality. I don't think I could do it. I feel like cheese is on everything. Michael Schwartz, founder of Treeline Cheese, is trying to make it possible to enjoy that kind of cheese on everything without the dairy. Schwartz was himself a cheese aficionado until about a decade ago when he became vegan. He decided he wanted to produce a non-dairy cheese to make his choice more palatable for others. He makes his cheese with a cashew base, and we talked to him about his company and the changing landscape of plant-based foods. It has gone through enormous change. When I first became vegan, like most people will tell you who've been through this, I miss cheese tremendously. And the only solution I had to address my cravings for cheese was just not buying it. <laughs> because if I bought it, I ate it. <laughs> right. right. So there were really no good vegan cheeses. Um, also, things like non-dairy milk was quite hard to find and um, it, it, yeah, the, the, the few vegan cheeses there were were, were really kind of waxy and inedible uh, things so I, I think the biggest change that I've seen in the past 10 years is the advent of vegan cheeses that are good and also the ubiquity of non-dairy milk where you know in the, in the past you really had to look for it and now it's in every supermarket everywhere what we found is that if i if i pitch this product as a sort of an imitation of an existing dairy cheese it is extremely unappealing to non-vegans and for example if i say and my cheeses aren't trying to do this at all but if I say try this vegan version of brie okay and there are such things out there a person who really loves brie 
tastes this and says, this is not brie. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you, you will, you'll lose that person. Okay. But if I pitch the product as, this is a new kind of cheese that's made out of nuts, then the person goes, well, I, no, I'm interested. That's, that sounds interesting to me. But if I set up expectations that the product has certain qualities and characteristics, which dairy cheeses have, I'm always going to come up short. And that's because there's a tradition of cheese making that goes back thousands of years. And we've been doing this for a few years. And there are experiments, for example, where people will put different food colors in food. So like a, a, a hamburger will be green. People don't want to eat that. It's a similar kind of concept that if you set up expectations and then you, don't, you, you can't live up to them. We pitch it as here's a, a new kind of cheese made of nuts. Give it a try. I regard vegans as my primary market, and I refer to them as the Tea Party. And in the same way as the Republican Party, the the, the candidates in the Republican Party have to have a base in order to get a nomination, we have to have a base in order to have a viable company. But we can't build a real company that's that's nationwide and has decent sales only on our base in the same way as the Republican Party cannot get into power only on the Tea Party. They have to appeal to a broader base. Michael Schwartz said he's not trying to imitate your favorite gorgonzola or brie, but rather to create a new kind of cheese altogether. Ethan Brown, founder of Beyond Meat, is taking a much different approach. At Beyond Meat, Ethan is working to replicate meat just without the animals. He says growing up on a farm, he had difficulty separating the animals in the barn from the animals he kept in the house. That being said, he says he celebrates meat and its importance to the development of the human species. You know, people want to eat uh, foodstuffs that their grandparents ate. They just want to eat healthier versions of it. So, so the history of meat consumption is fascinating and it predates um, our own human history. You know, we started as, uh, uh, obviously as humans about 200,000 years ago uh, consuming meat, but, but really prior to, to Homo sapiens began eating meat about 2 million years ago. And it changed everything about us. You know, we went from um, you know, having about a 600 cubic centimeter brain to one that's now 1,300 to 1,500 cubic centimeters. And that's due largely to the high nutrient base that, that was found in meat. It was like finding a cliff bar in the savannah. You know, it was like we go from, <laughs> go, go, you know, go from chewing plant matter for 12 hours a day to, to being able to consume meat off the bone was, was a really important move for us. So um, I don't think it's realistic uh, to, to envision a world where people are going to go back to eating vegetables all the time, right? There's a role for meat in, in, our, in our culture uh, and a defining role, um, but meat doesn't have to come from an animal. That's the big difference. There's no reason it needs to come from animal. It's an extremely inefficient bioreactor. It's an inefficient way of assembling protein and fat and water. And it's also inhumane. So why not get rid of it? Meat plays a very important role in, in, in our culture, and our diets, et cetera. And what we want to do is allow people not only to continue to love meat, but potentially even eat more of it. Because if you can get the cholesterol out, for example, why not eat meat you know, more times a day? So who is your target consumer? I mean, who do you think will eat this non-animal meat? Right. 
So I think it's it's um, you know people who are you know, the term flexitarian, right? Uh, so folks that are not eliminating animal protein from their diets, but maybe are reducing it. And so we offer um, an expanded choice for them, and that's really the way to think about this: is you know we don't um, in any way denigrate meat. I think that'd be a mistake. Um, what we do is offer people an expanded uh, set of choices so they can make their own decision. And the closer you get to animal protein, the less of a decision it really is. It's listen, if I can have something that that has all the benefits of meat from a nutritional perspective and from a um, sensory and culinary experience, then then why not try it? And that we're finding more and more consumers are behaving that way. One thing that we've found when talking about this stuff is that it's really price that's a barrier. Uh, so I'd like, love to hear from you how the price of your products compares to regular meat and whether you see that as a barrier to growth. So I think if you were to take, let's say, like pick a major global livestock company like JBS or something or, or, or Purdue, and you did like a heat map of their facilities, and then you put our facility somewhere in there, ours wouldn't even show up. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like it's so small. Uh, and yet we're able today to be uh, price competitive with certain cuts of meat. And so uh, imagine uh, what we're going to be like when we're at scale. Uh, and so I think a way to think about that is if you think about direct material and direct labor, there's no material obstacle to us underpricing meat eventually. Wow. It's just a question of scale. Uh, and certainly on the labor side, you can think about the efficiency there. I mean, we can create a continuous process to, to produce this food once you get the, the basically the separated protein. Uh, so you will see a day when this is this costs less than, than meat. I think the way that I think about it is if you look at some of the, like if you travel in parts of Asia, for example, and you're driving along the road, one of the things you, you may not see uh, is telephone poles. But it doesn't mean people aren't using the phone. They're just using you know, land, uh, mobile, mobile phones. And that's the way I think about our product, is it's a better version, ultimately, as we continue to make it better, than its predecessor. And that's it. It's not about being vegan. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about, can we create a piece of meat from plants that's more sustainable and healthy for you? That's it. Like many of the businesses who are part of this next-generation plant-based movement, Beyond Meat is aiming for a broader audience than just the people who say they're vegans. Many of these companies don't actually want to be called vegan at all. Some of the companies we approached for this piece wouldn't be on the show if we used the term. We asked Craig about that backlash. Why do companies care if they're called vegan versus plant-based? Number one, they say, we can sell this stuff in Kroger and Walmart. You know, we can sell this stuff to mainstream Americans. And to them, the vegan word basically means that it tastes bad. That if they call something vegan, the average mom shopping in Kroger looks at it and says, oh, that's not for me, and moves on. So they, they avoid the word, you know, really sort of religiously do not say it. Some companies, you know, they don't want to be associated with it whatsoever. They call it plant-based or whatever, because again, they think it signals to the market that it tastes bad. Treeline Cheese's Michael Schwartz sees possibilities with the word vegan. Now, the word vegan to some people connotes uh, kind of a, an angry person who doesn't really care about taste and who's just concerned about one issue. It's a single, it's like a single issue voter. I think that's really changing. And I think that in, in many ways, the, the, the vegan stamp is actually a stamp of quality. The people say, well, the, the people who make this are concerned about what's in it. And therefore, it's something we should, we should consider as a quality thing. In the same way as 
a lot of people perceive the kosher certification as a brand of quality because there's a certain amount of care behind it. Some businesses find that adding the word vegan to their marketing is actually a helpful tool to draw customers in even if they're not targeting vegans at all. For example, I'd assume that cheese and meat are both made with animal byproducts, but what about wine? I think most people would assume that wine is not. Grapes, right? But still, you'd be assuming wrong. Surprisingly, winemakers typically use egg whites as a fining agent to clarify their wines, making it non-vegan. And a long, long time ago, they even used blood. We talked with Mark Lyle, vice president of Santa Margarita Wines, about why they advertise the fact that their wine is not made with any such byproducts. A lot of wines historically have used animal byproducts to do that and still do. Uh, it works. However, at Santa Margarita, we always thought that that wasn't the best way to do this. And that, you know, in our value system of sustainability, doing things healthy, doing things right, and the least amount of influence to, to use something other than animal byproducts. So we use bentonite clay, which works better, has less manipulation on the wine, and it keeps us vegan. Are you guys an anomaly? Are, are more people making wine this way? Or I mean, it seems like it would be a little easier and more sustainable, potentially. It is um, trending in this direction. Um, the reasons are varied. I think most wineries, especially in the European community, are much more uh, attuned to being sustainable before sustainable was sustainable, a word that you know is sort of used in the genre today. Um, about doing things correctly with the earth, taking care of the land. The land takes care of you if you take care of the land. Um, so it fit into that value system. And I think more and more wines are getting on board with that. Um, and it happens to just be a parallel path where consumers, especially millennials, are getting more interested in vegan and where things come from, how it's made, pushing back on just taking things at face value. And as they look behind the curtain, so to speak, they want to know what's happening. And when they get back there, sometimes they're happy with what they're seeing, sometimes they're not so happy. Um, I think, you know, everything that we took for granted in the previous generations, uh, this generation has decided to sort of say, why, wait, stop. Is that the best way? And I think that's a little bit of a change for us. So if you look at the how the finances are being handled by millennials, how they're uh, interacting amongst themselves, you know, dating is not what it once was. It's now more of a social thing. And their life in front of the mobile phone, it gives them so much information now. So they can go in there and within a couple of clicks understand where that wine is from, the technical aspects of the wine, who the winemaker is. And that plethora of information creates, allows an opportunity for better choices. So I think it's the cultural thing along with the technological aspect of having the information creates a good little apex form. When it comes down to it, Mark Lyle says it's the quality of the product and the taste that matters most, more than any kind of label. And that makes a lot of sense. Right. Other than a relatively small group of people who morally abstain from eating and drinking certain products, people largely make food and beverage decisions based on taste. So then how do these products stack up? Treeline and Beyond Meat both said they're hoping to attract a broader audience for their products, so we decided to arrange some taste tests. We brought together some of our colleagues at Bloomberg on the consumer team and had them taste Treeline. Yeah. You know, this one, I wouldn't oh, call it. Uh, I wouldn't, that's what it is. Yeah. 
I wouldn't call say it tastes like cheese, but this it's one, good. I like them. These almost seem like a hummus kind of. I guess if I was a vegan and there was this cheese, I would be like, awesome, cheese time. Vegans are like, holy shit, I haven't yeah. had cheese in 30 years. Right. Like, this is this is a major step forward. Yeah, mm -hmm. I could definitely <laughs> see that, yeah. But like, is this something that y'all would buy? Not for $7. The price is a bit of a barrier. Maybe four, yeah. I, I think from a taste perspective, like if this is being compared to Philadelphia cream cheese, Philadelphia cream cheese tastes better. Like, no mm. doubt. If I'm getting crackers and brie and some wine, like, I'm not, I'm right. getting brie. I'm not yeah. getting that. Like, when you go in the store, it might be interesting to try something new, so they might draw people in that way, and people not even realizing that it's, like, a healthy thing or a vegan thing, um, especially since I don't really know labels or products when it comes to cheese, so you could possibly draw people in that way. I guess it would also maybe debunk some of the, sort of, this stuff can't ever taste good, like my example of... I got oh, yeah. I got vegan brownies by accident. They were mm. they were terrible, but this stuff isn't terrible. It actually tastes pretty good. Right. So you know, it opens your eyes to oh well, maybe this lifestyle eventually I could think about it. Right. It's you come know? a long way. There's yeah. no question mm -hmm. that this stuff tastes a lot better yeah. than the, the prior generation of you know vegan cheese has been around for a long time since the 60s or 70s. And I've continued to eat this throughout this entire conversation. So <laughs> I mean. I don't. I think there's a large group of people out there that why would they do this? They can yeah. eat regular cheese and it's cheaper. Yeah. Until they come up with a vegan cheese that can melt on a pizza, like or that's right, that's or what would or something. right. Americans wow. want to melt cheese. Point. Our taste testers weren't totally positive about the non-dairy cheese because they'd rather just eat regular products. Treeline's Michael Schwartz said he didn't try to imitate those kinds of existing cheeses, but rather he created a new product. So what about vegan food that does try to imitate the real thing? We asked some of our fellow reporters for their thoughts on Beyond Meat's burger. Well, the first thing you expect when you bite into a burger is fat running off. I mean, I was looking at it, I was like, I like you guys. Alright, so what did y'all think? I didn't love it. I I don't think I'd go out to the store and buy one of those burgers. Do you normally eat a lot of meat? You know, I so I'm a pescatarian, so I don't eat any meat. I mean I have I eat veggie burgers sometimes. Um, but there wasn't anything about that veggie burger that really stood out to me. The the relationship between the burger and meat was kind of like uh, between watching porn and actually having sex. <laughs> I, I like Boca Burgers better, to tell you the truth. And they're like hockey pucks when you take them out of the freezer and you throw them on the griddle or with a little griddle. The thing that I found interesting was that it looked and sounded like... A burger, like it actually didn't right. look like a, it didn't look like there weren't like black beans sort of poking out of it, or like these weird chunks of zucchini which you've seen. Like even like fancy veggie burgers where it basically looks like someone put a bunch of veggies in a food processor, slammed it together with some panko, and then you know, here's your burger. And it's like Ugh. so it it looking like a burger and then tasting it and not having that kind of that sort of initial like burger rush that you get was sort of disappointing and then after sort of that point going forward it kept being sort of like oh like this isn't bad but there's nothing in this that is going to make me you know want to come back if I'm not going to watch it cooked 
the like charred taste on the outside, the like texture of it felt very meaty. It didn't feel like a soy patty shaped um, and colored to look like a burger that really didn't taste like a burger. It didn't taste like those terrible like black bean burgers that are really just black bean hockey pucks. Sorry, I hate Boca burgers also. Um, I think it was really, I thought it was really good. I think it's like as good as we could expect from a burger that's actually supposed to taste like meat but isn't meat. Based on our taste testers' responses, it seems like vegan food has come a long way, but companies still face barriers on price and taste. It's tough to convince people without serious moral qualms to spend more than they would on staples like cheese and meat, especially if they like the taste of the real thing better. But clearly vegan alternatives are becoming part of the future of food. Getting them to be mainstream is going to depend on meat eaters embracing plant-based products rather than giving up their meat cold turkey. Companies have seen this opportunity and they're working with new technology to make their products more appealing to all consumers. Maybe next Thanksgiving, the president will be pardoning a plant-based turkey. (laughs) Well, I think that's a good place to leave this discussion. All right, then I guess that wraps it up for this episode of Material World. Thanks for listening. For more Material World, check out Bloomberg.com, iTunes.com slash Material World. And you can also follow us on Twitter. I'm at Jenny M. Kaplan and Lindsay's at LC Rupp. You can find out what's new with Beyond Meat at Beyond Meat and Santa Margarita Wines at SM Wines USA. You can follow all of Craig's coverage at Sitka Writer. If you like what you heard, please rate and review the show on iTunes. Also, check out our sister podcast, Game Plan, for all the do's and don'ts of office life. We'll be back in two weeks. You know, I do have aspirations around bacon. Uh, because I think wow. it's just, because of the symbol of bacon is. I mean, if someone's yeah. willing to wear a T-shirt that says bacon, it's <laughs> yeah, morning in America. You're having people bacon. People love it.